Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit's Ramblings, Podcast 140. This time, I have a bunch of stuff to talk about. I talk about the Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls beta. I talk about Rezogun for the PlayStation 4. I talk a little bit about the PlayStation 4 itself. And I talk about The Hobbit's second movie, The Desolation of Smog. And that's it for this time. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the show. So I have had a chance to check out the Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls beta. As a reminder, this is beta. Anything that I talk about could, you know, be changed or altered. So take whatever I say with a grain of salt and realize, you know, that might not be in its final form for actual release. Although I didn't play Diablo 3 very much at launch, I really like the changes that have come about due to the expansion. I am playing the new Crusader class, and so far I've probably played about 10 to 12 hours as that character starting from, you know, level 0. Their core gameplay is as a heavy armor melee character, but due to their skills, you can actually play them in different sort of forms, and it seems like it is quite flexible. You can build it like a close fighting paladin, where you've got a lot of melee abilities, or you can build it sort of akin to something like a D&D cleric, where you have a mix of sort of ranged spells and melee abilities as support. As far as I know, though, there is no way to increase your spell slash ability damage on its own. It looks like the only way to increase it is from from boosts built into the various items you get. Like, it's not uncommon to see something like plus 5% holy damage. Or I think from about level 30 on, you'll start seeing ones that are plus 15% to one specific ability. So those will increase the damage, but as far as how much damage you're doing, it's kind of a mystery. I don't remember if this was the case for Diablo 3's base game, but a lot of this stuff is just invisible. Like it will say, deals a damaging blow to you know, people in melee range. But it won't tell you, like, how much damage that specific ability does. I guess that's to sort of help people feel like the abilities are more balanced, and so that they pick one that they favor over one that, you know, shows a higher damage ratio or something. So I guess it's okay, but it is kind of confusing if you are, you know, somebody who's used to nitpicking over numbers. The new loot system, which is often being referred to as Loot 2.0, actually tailors the drops to the character you are currently playing, which means pretty much every drop that is in sort of the range you're looking for is worth looking at. Like, my character has pretty much all yellow equipment. I have a few legendary orange, but pretty much any drop which is, you know, yellow slash gold rarity, I'll take a look at it and see if it's got better stats than what I have. With the old system, I remembered there was a lot of stuff dropping for other characters, 
And there was a lot of stuff that was dropping, not necessarily for your class, even though you could equip it. But so far, probably 95% of all of the equipment that I've got has been pretty much heavy plate stuff, and it's got strength and vitality on it. So it's been almost always, you know, for my character. Since I just started hitting the Reaper of Souls content, and I passed level 40, I have seen that percent increase slightly, but it's still almost exclusively for my Crusader class. Another change to the loot system is that there are now, I guess, blueprints slash recipes, whatever you are familiar with as a term, and the blacksmith can learn to do various cool legendary things. I had just found my first one when I stopped playing for today, and it got me a mage staff, which is <laughs> totally useless for me. But I don't know, it's pretty cool that you can find legendary blueprints slash plans and, and make a legendary, that's pretty cool. There also seem to be a lot of new crafting components that I don't recognize, so I think the crafting system was overhauled as a whole. And it seems pretty solid, I like it. I only crafted a few things. Mostly the stuff I found in the world was, you know, better enough that it wasn't worth crafting anything. I just unlocked the Mystic in Act 4, which I guess is probably old content. It's not content I saw before. But she's pretty cool. She can replace specific properties and items. Like, say, something has a boost to a skill you don't use. You can take the item to her, select that one skill, and then she'll offer you... Typically, when I did it, it was about three or four other options to replace it. It looked like, though, once you had spent the gold and resources to change it, you didn't have an option to cancel. And the options I got were usually okay. I wasn't really thrilled with any of them. But it is a nice way to tweak an item, like if it has, you know, four boosted things, and three of them you really like, and one of them you're just kind of like, well, I wouldn't really use that. It might be worth taking it to the Mystic and seeing if she could tweak that fourth one into something that would be really cool. It does use up a lot of really special resources, especially if you're having her look at a legendary, so you probably won't be able to do it too often, but it is a nice option to have. She can also transmogrify stuff, which changes the look of an item, not the item itself, just the, the way it looks on your character. So that's pretty cool. If you have a piece of something that you think looks kind of ugly, or you absolutely love, you know, the look on this one thing, she can change how it looks. And when I did it for one of my items, it was, I think, like a level 35 item, and it was like 500 gold. It was like not even really worth bothering to worry about the price. So it seems like, that's a very cheap thing to do if you are into that. The resource for Crusader is Wrath, which seems to just kind of build up on its own. But there are some item boosts that will either increase regeneration rate or increase recovery rate. That sort of stuff. Not really sure what to say about the beta, so I will talk about my character a little bit. For my main mouse abilities... On the left mouse button, I have a power called Slash, which does sort of a, a short-range AE attack. I guess you could say maybe it's sort of double melee range, and it attacks sort of in a cone. Usually I'll just hit people in melee range, and if there happens to be, you know, one or two other guys nearby, it will also hit them. 
And for my right mouse button, I use shield bash, which is actually sort of like a traditional charge. You'll sort of fly forward and then hit a bad guy you had targeted. I don't think there's any range limit on it other than, you know, you have to be able to see them and get to them. Because I've charged, you know, all the way to the maximum range of the screen. If you do happen to misclick and sort of hit the ground, you will just do sort of a burst attack right in front of you. Which is what happens when you get to the end of the charge. You, you do a charge and then a little sort of miniature AE. So I guess that's sort of good because you can actually hold shift and stand in place on purpose and then just kind of do the little AE thing in a circle if you want. You'll burn out of wrath really quickly doing that, but you can do that. I personally prefer to bounce back and forth between charges. There's almost no cooldown at all. You can almost chain cast it. Like I said, you do run out of wrath really fast, though. For my action ability bars, I took Judgment, which affects sort of a circle area in front of you. The basic Judgment ability roots all the bad guys in place, and I have it ruined with an ability that pulls all the bad guys sort of into one pile really close to you when you use it. So it pairs very well for the small AE abilities I have on my main mouse buttons. Although, using an ability in that slot called Consecration is very tempting if I play in a group, which I haven't done yet, but I might, because that puts an AE field on the ground which will heal your allies. So again, you know, you have a choice of roles. You can either be sort of tankish or you can be sort of supportish and do heals. Provoke is the second ability I have slotted. It again has sort of a spherical AE, but this is based around your character. The basic ability does a taunt, which I'm pretty sure means the bad guys will attack you, just like in a standard MMOG. And it also generates wrath, so it's a good thing to use if you've done a few abilities, you hit that, and then you get some wrath back pretty quickly. It has a few different kind of runes you can use that do different effects. The one I use puts sort of a debuff on the bad guys, and as you hit them and do damage, it will regain life as you hit them. The third button is called Laws. The laws I use are the Laws of Justice, which reduces the group's damage from elemental damage types. And Laws have this passive and active state. So you can kind of think of it like an aura that's always on, and then if you push the button, it'll sort of activate it. And I have it ruined so that in its active state, most of the damage that goes to the party would come to me. I'm just kind of leaving it set up like that because the other laws are kind of eh. And mostly because, you know, if I do group with other people, I'd want to, you know, pretty much play a tanking role. So I'm just kind of leaving that there to get used to it. And the fourth ability I use is called Falling Sword. Wherever your mouse is when you activate it, sort of sets a landing point and you do sort of this super jump into the sky, your character disappears, and then about one second later, it is kind of a little bit delayed, you'll slam down into the ground where it is, and cause this big explosion of damage. I like it quite a bit, it's a lot of fun. Again, it has a few different kind of runes that can boost it. The one I use sort of sets the ground on fire where you land, so it does sort of this persistent AE for a little bit. I usually use it to jump into a big pile of boss-like creatures. I don't usually use it on sort of low-level minions, because it's not really worth it. It just wipes them all out. It's pretty much good for bosses, and then the rest of the time you don't really need it. The passives I took 
are pretty much also for tanking like play. The first one I have is Heavenly Strength, which allows the Crusader to wield a two-handed weapon as a one-handed weapon. So you get to keep your shield, which, you know, helps a lot because some of the abilities are based on, you know, must-have shield or, you know, block percent. It does slow you down a little bit. I think it makes you like 10% running speed slower, but it's not a big deal, especially if you're like me. You just use the shield bash to charge in or you use the falling sword. So your mobility kind of makes up for it very easily. The second passive I'm currently using is called Fanaticism, which generates extra wrath as I do damage to various critters. And the third one I really haven't quite settled on yet. I've switched between a few of them, but there's nothing that I've really fallen in love with quite yet for the third slot. There is a Paragon system in place. I think that was actually in place for the original game, but I never got to maximum level. You have to be maximum level to use it. So I don't know if it's any different than the previous system. I have not gotten to maximum level, so I don't have any points to spend in it. But I can look at the tree and look at you know, the various choices. It is basically broken down into four categories, and each category has four options as to what you build up. And just as quick example, in the core category, you can upgrade your strength. In the offensive category, I can upgrade my attack speed. In defense, I can upgrade my elemental resistance. And in utility, I can increase gold find, which some people are saying is kind of broken, but that's an option if you're looking for loots. And those might be different for different characters. I'm not sure if they are class specific. I'm sure some of them are, you know, slightly different, if not, you know, more. Like strength might just be in there because that's the Crusader's primary stat, as well as vitality. So, you know, maybe those choices are just for Crusader, and somebody else might see, you know, something different. Since I'm not max level, I can also not check out the adventure system yet, which is something new for Reaper of Souls, which is basically like you can go anywhere in any of the acts as far as I know, and it will have bounties in particular areas. So it's like you come in and you'll look for a bounty. It's kind of, I guess, like a daily quest, only you don't have to go through the main story over and over again to, you know, do it. You can just teleport in and get that one special thing done. There's also a die system in for armor. I don't know if that is new or not, but I just got to a die vendor, so I died one of my armor pieces, so that was pretty cool. And that's really all my rambling for Reaper of Souls. I just got to like level 42, so I'm just now getting into the new content. Like I said, some of the content I can't even access and look at until I'm maximum level. So in the coming weeks, uh, provided they don't wipe my character and I have to start over, I should be able to get to max level and check that out. And I can ramble about that again when I do. But if you were into Diablo 3 at all, you might want to keep your eyes out for the Reaper of Souls expansion. The release date and versions for the Reaper of Souls expansion has been set for March 25th. The basic digital copy of the game is 40 bucks. There's a slightly more expensive digital copy at 60 bucks. And then there is a physical collector's edition at 80. 
But I think I just might pick it up at launch, even though I haven't been playing Diablo 3 since basically launch. Seems like a lot of the things that bugged me before don't quite bug me as much. I don't know if it's just because I'm playing Crusader and I like the class better, or if it's because, you know, maybe they changed something subtle, like, you know, maybe the loot system change was enough. I don't know. I will certainly consider it, though. So since most of the PlayStation 4 games I want to get have been delayed pretty much till next year, sort of in the middle of the year or early in the year, the only thing I really have to play is a game called Rezogun, which is free to anybody who is signed up as a PlayStation Plus member, which unfortunately for me means that if my subscription ever runs out or if I go, you know, offline, which, you know, I would be at work, I can't access the game. You can only access it if you can get online and it can verify that you're still subscribed. There didn't appear to be any way to purchase it permanently, and there was mention that if you buy added content, you know, any added content would also be linked to the PlayStation Plus account. If you didn't have the account active, you know, you would still have the downloadable stuff you got, but, you know, you couldn't access it without the primary game license. For those of you who were around during the old school days of the arcade, or who have maybe seen any kind of remake of it, the game is very similar to Defender. If you are not familiar with what Defender is, basically you are in a spaceship on presumably an alien world. The last humans have been captured and put in little prisons, and you are flying around shooting the alien ships. And on occasion, prisoners will be released and you can grab them, and then you take them to a safe spot and save the humans. I really like how they took the original design of an endless world where you could just fly, you know, right or left in the original arcade and you would go to the edge of the map and then you would, you know, pop out the other side. They've done that in a new school fashion by making the city sort of a cylinder. So it is 3D, it is, you know, not flat 2D. You're always flying, you know, right or left in the same fashion. But it does give you sort of this 3D feel because you're flying around, you know, on a cylinder instead of a flat two-dimensional space. Even though the game is 3D, you know, it's basically still 2D because the models of the ships are all 3D. You know, basically it's still on a, a flat plane. So you're shooting the alien bad guys and there's various types and they do different things and they fly in different patterns. And after a certain number, you will clear a wave. And after a certain number of waves, a big boss will appear. And you'll get to do this cool big boss fight that is usually just one big critter. To help you along the way, you get various weapon power-ups that do some pretty crazy things. You can have temporary shields, which will protect you from a little bit of damage. Your weapon can be boosted up. So instead of doing like a slow single shot, it'll go to a faster shot. Then I'll go to like double shots. And I didn't really see much past fast double shot because I kept getting killed. You also have bombs. 
which are limited in number, which pretty much blow up all of the bad guys. And you have this rechargeable speed move, where you'll sort of boost forward and be invulnerable for a short while. So you can use that quite often as well. I guess you could call the music sort of an arcade techno. It sounds very cool. But I saw reference that there was only actually five songs. And I would guess that's probably one for each world. So you might get tired of the music pretty quickly. In the few hours I've played, I haven't really gotten tired of the music or anything. It all seems very cool. So I like the music quite a bit. Like I said, it's free to PlayStation Plus members. And when I got my PlayStation 4, I did get a code to activate that allowed me to try that out for a month free. So you basically get the game free for a month. And then, you know, if you want to be a PlayStation Plus member after that, you know, you'll get it as long as you're a PlayStation Plus member. If you like arcade-style shooters, I would highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. I can't give it a star rating because I did only get to play about an hour or so. So I haven't really had that much experience with it. I am recording this early in the week. I'll probably set up my system again later in the week and try and stream it. I tried to stream it the first time, but I guess I didn't quite set that up right. So I will get to play a little bit more, and if I think of anything else to say, I will mention it. But if not, I would say I probably don't have enough information to fairly rate it on a star system. But again, you know, it's free as long as you're a PlayStation Plus member and you get that, you know, month trial for free. So if you like arcade-type shooters, there's really no reason not to try it out. The Grid. A digital frontier. I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. So I have some general thoughts about the PlayStation 4. Mostly about the UI. I don't know what they're calling it for the PlayStation 4, but it used to be called the cross-media bar. That has kind of the most obvious changes to the UI. The more obvious change, once you get used to it, is that the cross-media bar is now on two different lines. Ones that I guess you could call more setting-oriented are sort of on the top line. That's where your notifications will come in. You can change settings like audio type settings, though. Those are pretty much just auto-selected now, unlike with the PlayStation 3 where you do different kind of checkboxes on and off. Now it's just all automatically set up. And when you're on this bar, the icons seem kind of unusually small. The bar is a single screen across, unlike before, where it kind of scrolled right and left. So I think it's smaller icons overall, although, you know, they are big enough. They do feel kind of small. But things like if you go to notifications or messages, that will pop up above the bar. While it is kind of cool to see things like that, it seems kind of wasteful in terms of space. It looks, you know, serviceable, but it doesn't feel very fluid or look very nice. Games and general media stuff are kind of in the bottom bar. 
it seems like that's probably where you'll spend most of your time. When you're in the bottom bar, the cross-media bar section sort of moves to the top of the screen, and then the games and media will appear sort of in big... I don't know if marquee is the right word, but it's sort of like a, a small poster. And you'll be able to scroll, you know, right and left and select the game or media item you are looking for. Like by default, they have Amazon streaming service, and then I think Hulu and Netflix is also on there as well. There's also a general connection to the internet, so you can just go to a regular browser if you want to do that as well. Though I did need to look something up online, and instead of doing it on my phone, I figured I'd do it on the PlayStation 4 browser since it was already there and up and running. And I discovered that it was saying I couldn't display video because I didn't have the correct player. Most browsers will ask you if you want to install it, but this didn't ask me to install anything. So I'm curious if maybe there are some kind of limitations, like it doesn't support Flash or, you know, things like that, which would, you know, limit the browser capabilities for PlayStation 4. And people, you know, aren't likely to use it as their main web browser, that's for sure. I'm sure most people would rather just get up and go to their computer or, you know, use their phone or whatever. So it's probably not a huge deal, but it seems kind of odd to have something that is targeting, you know, more and more media, and then, you know, not have a full-fledged web browser. I don't know if you can install one. I would certainly hope so. But it's possible, you know, because of the operating system, it might not, you know, be an option. They have a companion app, as they are calling it now. You can get that for your phone or your tablets or I think it's the same app for the Vita as well. So through there, I can be on my phone and I can check, you know, my friends and see what they're doing and send and receive messages and stuff. So that's pretty cool. The app can also link to the PlayStation 4 and there's an option to run it as a secondary screen once it is connected. I only know of one game that's actually developing for that and they're going to connect people who are on tablets to, you know, regular players. But that's specifically designed, you know, so that people who want to play the game when they're not at their console, be it PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, they can play, you know, that special form on the tablet and still, you know, be a part of the group. But I'm sure, you know, other games might support it. They might show, you know, a map or statistics or something or maybe, you know, control your inventory through the second screen. I have a few thoughts on the controller as well. I do like the buttons. The buttons feel a lot better. The buttons on the PlayStation 3, I remember feeling kind of stiff, and the shoulder buttons kind of didn't feel very easy to use. The controller for the PlayStation 4 overall seems really great. I do think that the analog sticks aren't quite as resistant as I would like. They seem kind of floppy to me. I like a little bit more resistance in my analog sticks. But overall, they do feel pretty solid. And I guess those are just my rambly thoughts on the PlayStation 4, mostly as compared to the PlayStation 3. Overall, I like it pretty good. I do think the UI could still use a lot of work, their cross-media bar. And granted, Microsoft is quite a bit ahead of them on that front since they did have the dashboard, and that worked out really well for them, and they sort of incorporated ideas of that into Windows 8. So, you know, the UI on the Xbox One looks sort of like this halfway step between Windows 8 and the dashboard they had previously. 
And what I've seen of it, you know, it looks really slick and everything is really integrated and the tiling looks really good. I don't know, Sony's cross-media bar for the PlayStation 4 just looks kind of bare bones. You know, it, it works, but it doesn't look overly pretty to look at and it doesn't seem to move as smoothly as it could. Of course, you know, that's all stuff that can change over time. But overall, you know, it seems pretty cool. I don't know if I would recommend a PlayStation 4 for most people just yet because most of the games are delayed until sort of middle of next year or later. So I would think if you're on the fence about it, you know, definitely look at getting one probably next holiday season when a lot of the games are out. Unless, you know, you're like me and you're really looking forward to something in particular, you know, then you'd want to pick it up probably, you know, a little bit before that launches, whatever that may be. Far over the misty mountains cold To dungeons deep and caverns old We must away a break of day So the second movie of the Hobbit series, The Desolation of Smog, is now out. It is available in 2D and 3D and IMAX 3D. The movie is rated PG-13. I didn't see any option for the high frame rate version that they had in the first movie. It wouldn't surprise me if that got such bad press and people didn't like it enough that they just decided not to do that kind of version. I actually kind of liked it in the first movie. It gave everything sort of this live play feel to it. However, I think if they would have had it in this one, I don't think it would have quite felt as cool. You know, if you're into plays, it's kind of cool to see that. Because unlike the first one where a lot of the movie was just kind of sitting around, hanging out at Bilbo's place, talking about good times and adventures, and then off they go, and there's more talking, you know, in various places... Most of this movie is action. I would say probably two-thirds or more of it is action, which is kind of surprising because it's almost three hours long. So having that sort of, you know, hyper-real look to it really probably wouldn't have worked as well. I remember in the first ones, the bigger field-of-view scenes and the scenes where they were doing heavy action didn't quite look as cool as, you know, when they were just hanging out in Bilbo's house. So this one I saw in 3D IMAX without the fast frame rate. And again, I'm assuming that the fast frame rate was not an option because it wasn't listed in anything I saw. There's really not much for me to say about it. It is the second movie in what will be a trilogy, because the books were a trilogy, as far as I know. And again, since I haven't read the books, I can't do a lot of, you know, contrasting and comparing of what was put in versus what was left out you know, versus what was added to just the movie version. I can say that the special effects were all really awesome. The city they had under the mountain and the work that they did on Smog were just absolutely incredible. The battle in probably the last third of the movie that takes place down in the city under the mountain is just crazy detailed. It's a lot of fun and it's really good. 
I don't know if I'd say you'd need to see it on the big screen, but there are a lot of really small details that would be certainly much harder to see on a small screen. All of the characters we knew from the first movie are there, and we are introduced to a few new characters who sort of come to the forefront and I think play a bigger part in the third part of the movie than they did in this one. But we do meet a few new characters. The pacing seemed really good. It didn't seem overly slow in any parts. And it didn't seem, I guess, overly fast in any parts either. There was, you know, the big action sequences, and then they would kind of cool down, and then they would pick up again. But it was never jarring, and it very smoothly transitioned from one segment to the next. Like I said, not having read the book, I can't really think of anything else to say. I liked it quite a bit. I would say it was probably worth the almost 20 bucks I paid for 3D IMAX. It depends on if you like 3D or not. There were some times where the 3D really added to the movie, but I would say overall it kind of really wasn't as good as it has been in some other movies. There was a lot of vertical movement in Mirkwood where it seemed really cool and it very definitely would have added an effect. There are parts with smog in the city that are very cool in 3D. But through the majority of the rest of the movie, I don't really recall anything that really stood out as being amazing in 3D. Of course, they had the obligatory, you know, kill the orc in a 3D manner. But it was never over the top. So going to see it in 3D is up to you or not. This time, oddly, I did kind of get a really bad headache. I've never had that happen during 3D movies before. I think maybe it could be because I'm getting a cold. I'm not sure. I don't really feel all that great overall today. And through much of today, I was smelling something that smelled like either burnt plastic or a blown out engine. And this was, you know, even during times that I was nowhere near my car. So it was definitely not my car because I smelled it, you know, before I'd even started up my car and driven anywhere. And then later during the day when I went out to get some lunch, you know, I smelt it in the shopping mall area that I hang out at. So it was certainly not, you know, my car or me, I don't think. But it's a very unusual smell, so I don't know. Maybe I am getting sick. I don't know. But I would say if you are into The Hobbit, it is definitely worth seeing on the big screen. Again, I don't know if you want to see it in 3D or not. You know, totally up to you. Being a more serious movie, I don't know if I would recommend popcorn. I would say something like, having dinner beforehand, or maybe going to an earlier show and having dinner after would probably be a better idea. Even though, you know, usually I recommend popcorn for a lighthearted movie and or, you know, action-y movie. Even though this is action-y, it is quite a bit more serious. So, <laughs> get popcorn or not, I guess, up to you. I would say it is a more serious movie, so... I don't know. Personally, I don't like to snack on stuff with the more serious movies. And up to you to take friends or not. It is mostly action. But being sort of a more serious fantasy epic movie, you know, there's not a lot of stuff to share with your friends. Other than, ooh, this movie's so awesome. So take friends or not. Totally up to you. But if you are into that kind of thing, hopefully you'll have a good time.
So this time the news is pretty short. In a surprise to me, The Walking Dead video game season 2 episode 1 is now out. I didn't even know it was coming. It was like, surprise, it's out. I was like, what? I will talk about that next week because I already got it, but I didn't want to put it in this podcast, so I would have something to talk about next time. Just a quick note, though, it is 25 bucks for the whole season. I didn't see a way to purchase just the one episode. And much like The Wolf Among Us, you know, you're going to be paying 25 bucks for basically an hour and a half worth of entertainment. So you might want to wait until more episodes are out if you are looking to get, you know, the most value right away. And the movie 47 Ronin is out on Christmas, December 25th. Just about half a week from now. And that's it for the news. So I guess that's it for this week's Rabbit's Ramblings podcast. Hopefully I'll be okay. Kind of put myself super short on money when I got the PlayStation 4. And then I kind of forgot about it. Not the PlayStation 4, the putting myself short on money. And so when I picked up the Walking Dead season pass, I got a notice from my bank saying you're super short on money. Because I have it set to alert me if I go under 50 bucks. And I was like, oh poop. So I had a little tiny bit in savings. I moved that over. But I am short on food money. So I'm going to have to be really, really, really super, super, super careful. And hopefully I'll be okay for the next week until I get paid. But if you were considering donating, now would be a a super good time to do so. Because otherwise, my money is going to be like super tight for food. I'm kind of sad in general because I have to put the PlayStation 4 away. Basically, right after I got it. I brought it out for a test to do some streaming. And I guess my thing wasn't set up right. So whoever saw the stream saw the stream and that's going to be it. Because I guess it didn't save it. Which is sad because I really wanted to see you know, what the stream looked like. And see if it looked okay in terms of frame rate and stuff. Since I'm streaming you know, from the coffee shop. You know, it looks like I stayed connected that whole time. In the afternoon, I disconnected a few times. But it looked like for the morning part of the stream when I tested it, it seemed okay. But I guess I'm going to have to do another test to see if frame rate is good and, you know, if it looks okay and stuff. I guess it doesn't really matter, though, because I really want to get it set up for Destiny, which isn't going to come out in beta until, you know, six, maybe seven months from now, so... I have, I guess, plenty of time. But it made me very sad because I was having a lot of fun and, you know, wanted other people to see me having fun. And, you know, the fact that the video, you know, wasn't saved and didn't appear kind of made me very sad because it kind of feels like everything else in my life. It's like, you know, people won't see me and I'm basically invisible unless they happen to see me during that one moment. And then I'm gone. So that was very sad. I'll probably forget about it or 
you know, feel okay about it in a few days. But right now, makes me kind of sad. But hopefully, everybody has super awesome, fun, good Christmas time. I guess Christmas will happen between this and next podcast. So, happy Christmas time to everybody. Hopefully, you'll get all the important things for the Christmas time. And hopefully, I'll see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye. Christmas time We let in light And we vanish it And in our world Of plenty We can spread a smile Of joy Oh, your arms around The world At Christmas time So I think the crafting system was overhauled as a whole. And I've seen it pretty... Shift, shift, shift. Stream or post, whatever you want. It does use up a lot of really special resources, especially if you're having her look at a legendary. So you probably won't be able to do it. Do, 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 do. But for me, since I don't know, you know, exactly how long it's going to be until my next game I want to play, considering, you know, there are a few I might want to rent, you know, staying a PlayStation Plus member is not a good deal for me, and people probably don't care about that. And I would guess that's probably one for each world. See you, mate. See me, me, me. Like, by default, they have Amazon. Sure. Hopefully, I'll be okay. I kind of put my short... Put my short? Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown! You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html if you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at rabbitdot.com. It's rabbit.com, but with not a period. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space. And be sure to put the number one in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's ramblings is copyright 2013 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.